0: Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. that the uh, older ones than ones who normally go back to the children's Bible study are staying in here. So if you are in here, please open up to Psalm 78 with me. Psalm 78 uh, just a few things uh, before uh, we get started here uh, one of those is coming up here uh, August the 15th we're going to be having a, a couple more baptisms again uh, so we'll celebrate that uh, that's a Sunday um, we've got uh, two right now who are going to be baptized the lake is big enough to fit some more souls in there if uh, any of you uh, have believed on the Lord Jesus you have turned but you have not yet been baptized uh, come talk with me. We've got a process of some conversations and things, but uh, we'll be celebrating that on, uh, on August 15th and a meal as a part of that there. Uh, to you uh, children in the room who uh, recited some of those catechism questions a bit ago, if you'll look up here at Pastor Josh for just a bit, uh, I am proud of you. Uh, I am proud of you and the work that you have done. Uh, you have teachers who love you and care about you And they want you to be saved. Uh, I'm one of your pastors. I love you and care about you and want you to be saved. And more importantly, you have parents who love you. This is why they uh, work on these things with you. This is why they do Bible studies with you and discipline you. It is because they love you and want you to be saved. Um, And today, actually, what I'm talking about is I'm talking to your parents Uh, about the work of raising you. Uh, So I want you, you kids who are in here, please do a good job paying attention. Uh, Listen in as much as you can, because one day, if God wills, you will have uh, little children and it will be your job as well. Let's turn our attention. Psalm 78. We're gonna read the first eight verses. It is one of the truths supporting the bigger point, uh, uh, talking about this task of raising up generations to come of those who follow and know and trust and love and obey and worship the living God. So let's begin in verse one. Listen, O my people to my instruction, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children. But tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. That the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their generation that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, it is our desire that you will raise up generations to come who will praise you Our God, we know that even if we were to fail in this, if we were not to live up to our responsibilities, you are still bringing your kingdom to come. You are still building your church. If not here, then you will do it across this world. You will be glorified. The nations will bow. But oh God, it is our yearning desire that our children would know you that their children will know you and that there would be generations who come even after we who are here are dead and gone who will love you and worship you and it is our yearning desire that we will obey you, that we will fulfill our responsibilities that you've given us so that when we stand before you and answer for the job that we did, Lord, that you'll be pleased. We, we want to make you our father happy with what we've done. We long for reward. We long to play this part in your kingdom. And so we pray that what we talk about today, I pray that this message will be useful to that end. As I sound trumpets of warning again, I ask, oh God, that you'll give us ears to hear. Uh, Father, there's a lot that I'm going to say today that could be misunderstood. There's a lot that I would say that is going to have offense to it. And I just pray, O oh God, that you'll send your spirit, that it will be received rightly. Help me to preach and do, a, do, a, do a, a job that's faithful, that honors you. And I pray that all here will hear and receive and heed and obey, O oh God. Please work. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. The San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus recently... Uh, Wrote and performed for the world a piece entitled, We Are Coming for Your Children. Some of the lines sing out, We'll convert your children, happens bit by bit. It happens very subtly, you will barely notice it. Later, there comes a chorus where the, the whole choir joins to passionately sing out the words, We are coming for your children, we are coming for them. There's a bit of a duet that comes a little bit later, singing out that the world's getting kinder, so we'll convert your children. And then one of the biggest punchlines of the song, the gay agenda is coming home. Now, many within the church have been, have been saying this for decades. We've been heralding out the warning of these things, but here's always what happens. I made mention of it last week. Uh, I saw it again this week. It was said to me once again by the world this very week. What always happens is that the church will see a trajectory, will herald out a warning, and the world replies back, you idiots, you always think everybody's out to get you. If you think there's some big conspiracy out there that somebody wants to take your children, you're so stupid, I feel sorry for you. That's a line I've heard, by the way. You're so stupid, I feel sorry for you. It happens over and over. We believers, now, not because we're so smart, but because we have the Bible. Because we have the Bible, we can regularly see where trajectories are headed. We can see what's coming down the road from miles away. And so we we herald out a warning. Guys, this is what this is going to end up being. And we're accused of fear mongering. Always watch for this. Every time that happens, there will always be a segment of the church who speaks up as well, saying to other Christians, yeah, you guys are acting stupid. And then they kind of wink at the world. See, I'm cool too with you. After decades, the conspiracy wasn't so crazy after all. And now that they have won the culture, because they have, by the way, Now that they have won the culture, they don't have to hide the agenda any longer. They can say it publicly and there's a major segment who will agree and say amen and the rest are cowardly and stay silent. But here's my point. It's bigger than the gay agenda or or even just one trajectory, one movement or one sin. Here's my point. Parents, I don't know if you are taking the souls of your children seriously, but there are those in this world who are. I don't know if you are willing to do whatever it takes and turn your life upside down to win their souls, but there are those in this world who are. And they meet and they plan And they give effort. They're backed by millions of dollars to push their agenda. They are giving effort. There is a deliberate move to win the thinking and the hearts of your children. Parents, you had better be willing to throw down and go to bat for your children. There is a battle over their souls. There's an adversary who hates you and wants your children. He influences the thinking of this world, all of the false ideologies, false religions and philosophies, all of them. They're called in the Bible doctrines of demons because that's where they all come from. Now the humans who are doing all the talking and they think that all these ideas are original to them, they think they're brilliant. They have no idea they are being influenced by a spiritual father who is directing these things. But your adversary does not care which lie captures your children. He only cares that it does. But God has called you. God has called you parents to raise your children to know the Lord and to trust him and to love him, to follow Christ, to obey, to serve all of their days, and then to repeat the process with their children so that they will then repeat the process in the generations to come. Christian parent, God has called us to raise up generations to come from our households who fear and worship the Lord. So here's how I am approaching this. This is still a part of this message of the pastors heralding some warnings of some burdens that we feel and that we recognize here. And so understand what my primary agenda is today is to once again blow another trumpet of warning. And, And I do want to tell you from the beginning Um, This has a bit of that kind of prophetic tone in that I'm going to be bringing up the sins and the failures that have been happening in the church Christendom in general. I'm going to be using the word we I'm gonna be talking about failures. Uh, Understand that as I say these things, this is similar to in the prophets, when the prophet would be given a message to deliver to the Northern kingdom or the Southern kingdom. And they would say, you have grown fat and sleek. Well, that wouldn't apply to every single individual, but he was addressing the sins as a whole. I'm going to do that today. There are going to be times where that feels um, quite offensive. Apply to yourself what is to be applied. If you do not have guilt in it, then do not feel the guilt. If only one twentieth of what I'm saying applies to you, then address the one twentieth. So understand as I address this, that I'm not preaching to our church with the tone like nobody's doing a good job raising their kids. That's not it at all. But what I do want to tell you is collectively, we're failing. Collectively Christendom. Collectively evangelicals, collectively Southern Baptist, we're failing. We're getting pummeled. And that trumpet needs to be blown. And we will never address what needs to be addressed until we understand reality as it is. So kind of know that is coming and receive it with this. I'm going to address this in two sermons, one today and then one next week. Uh, This morning, what I am doing is primarily sounding the trumpet of alarm and giving the general overview of the call, the call, trying to stir us uh, to once again, give ourselves to great effort in the call. OK, next week, I'm going to come back and get more specific in teaching about what, what is specifically some of those jobs that we parents are called to do, teach and train and disciple and uh, love, etc. In this. So this morning, though, uh, I'm going to address three things. First, the dangers that we face. Number two, the command of God. And then number three, an exhortation to us parents to do what needs to be done no matter the sacrifice that is required. So let's begin uh, by talking more about the dangers we face. I'm going to spend some time on this and then we're going to come back to our text. So first, the dangers that we face. Satan has always been working to seduce your children away from the truth of the gospel, even before a lot of the obvious craziness that we're seeing now. But you parent do need to be aware of some of the increasing dangers that exist. (coughs) There are a number of them that that we can uh, keep track of and that you do need to be aware of. One of them is a movement that is picking up just incredible steam of popularity as as insane as it is um, that intends to take your children by force. And when I say take your children, I mean a couple of things. One is to capture their thinking, so as to force your children to think according uh, to a certain way of the world. But another way that I mean that is quite literally in the legal kind of sense. There is a movement growing in popularity that is working to take custody of children if their parents are not indoctrinating them with the message that these demand that all believe. Totalitarianism, it is growing in popularity. And along with that, along with totalitarianism comes the idea, okay, you see it over and over again. Parents are idiots and do not have the right to educate their children. That should be the work of experts. And of course the experts are the people that they say are the experts who push their agenda. Parents, you are going to be seeing this increase in the days to come. This is a movement that is gaining steam. They're not going to say it as obviously as I just said it. That they're not gonna be school board meetings where they come out and say, we're totalitarian. We're Marxist. They're not going to say it like that. It's going to come subtle and you're going to have to have a discerning ear to watch for it. Parents watch for it. And if we stay silent on these matters and are just cowardly and sit back, it is only going to increase. There is the need to be aware of this. I know that as I say things like that, I get it. There is that response of, oh, here goes the preacher again being being dramatic and exaggerating saying that the sky has fallen when just a few pebbles got launched by a lawnmower all this kind of thing. I know I've been there. I remember thinking some of those very same things from my first pastor who preached the gospel. I can tell you 25 years later, the man's proven to be a genius, okay? And what I mean there is is again and again, there are these trajectories that continue and from the Bible we can just see where things are going. Parents This is already in existence. This is already reality in places in the world. In Canada, it is already a law that parents may not teach their children that homosexuality, for instance, is a sin because it is classified as hate speech. To the state, just to the east of us, in Ohio, there are parents who have lost custody of their child because they refuse to acknowledge the child's preferred gender. Marxism holds that the state is supreme and the state owns your children and they have the rights, not the parents. And everywhere that Marxist ideologies are spreading, this particular belief grows in popularity. Parents, you are going to need to be aware of this. But let me kind of take a step to the next transition here. But let's be clear, we speaking collectively as the church in America, Christendom, we've been losing and losing bad long before this obvious stuff began to come in. In fact, it is because we have been losing so badly that we are here right now. Um, I'm going to talk about some of these realities. I get it that you could think in some of these kinds of things, man, pastor, sure not being very encouraging today. I am going to give some encouragement along the way, but you do have to ask yourself, do you want the truth or do you just want to mosey on through assuming that everything is fine when it is not? We are not going to be in the right frame of mind to do what needs to be done unless we are very aware of realities and and how things are going. One of the cases that I'm going to make to you today is normal isn't working. Don't do normal. The church has been getting beat on our own home turf and not because of the strength of the enemy. It is because the church in our land very much looks like the letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3. If you remember that letter, you think that you're rich and you're full, but you do not know that you are blind, you are poor and you are naked. And in that letter, Jesus said to a church, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. The church has adopted the spirit of the age, believed the lies of the world, fashioned and modeled their lifestyles after the world, and abdicated the responsibility given to us by God. Okay, now, so I realize when I speak of the church, I know that's a really big kind of audience there, and I know that we could talk about the realities that there are a lot of churches that aren't even really churches because they don't believe the gospel. Um, I'm going to get more specific. let me give you some real numbers based on some real studies. Uh, once again, let me quote some sources here. The next about five minutes, I've been greatly helped by Vody Bachum in a series of uh, messages that he has delivered here. Evangelicals, that would be a pretty big umbrella. Evangelicals are losing on average 79% of our children by the time they're done with college. 79%, that's pretty close to 80%. Eight out of ten, four out of five. 80% of evangelical church kids are falling away from Christ by the time they're finished with college. Something has gone very wrong. Now, of course, I think that the numbers are better here. I mean, they better be or or, or I'm I'm not exaggerating, or I would quit because it would show I have no capability to shepherd. Of course, I think the numbers are better here and amongst churches that take the scriptures seriously, but that doesn't mean that there's not danger. That doesn't mean that some of these things that need to be brought up in realities can't happen here and that you and I will not be tempted with them. So what is causing this? it's too simplistic to just bring up uh, two or three kinds of things there are a lot of factors that we could bring in but i think that we can see that a great many of the factors have some things in common there's some common roots here so for instance l- l- let me let me tell you some other factors and we'll kind of bring them all together here southern baptist okay so this is this is our crew that we're currently United with, this would be 50,000 churches in North America, Southern Baptists right now, less than 1% of families have family worship even one time a year. You think maybe that would have something to do with these numbers? Notice the connection between that and what I'll say next. Ask the average churchgoer the question. Uh, how, how many kids are y'all planning to have or adopt or how many all, how many kids are y'all planning you you wanting to have? What what are the answers that are oftentimes given at this point? Well, for one, let me let me tell you what we don't hear a lot of, and that is Psalm 127 children are a blessing and a heritage blessed is the man's that got a quiver full of them. I want to raise up an army to impact this world for Christ. That's God's design. But instead, what do we often hear? How many kids y'all planning to have? Well, not very many. We want to be able to travel. You know, not very many. My wife's career is real important to her. Well, not very many. It's just so expensive to raise kids these days. You know, like as in you know, back in the wilderness desert, that's when it was really easy to do that. You know, not too many. Uh, you know, global warming and all. <laughs> Listen to me. Let's let's be very honest. Pagan. 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 There is sin in the camp. There is repentance that is needed. And it's not just repentance for this one thing. Even this is a symptom of bigger things. This comes from a a deeper root because let me throw in some more factors here. Like less than 5% of evangelicals tithe. So 95% of evangelical churchgoers are living in ongoing disobedience. And then another another number, less than 5% engage in personal evangelism of any kind. 95% of evangelical churchgoers are ignoring the Great Commission. What do all these numbers have in common as I throw these kinds of things out there? Guys, it's not just some individual things. The deeper root is the lordship of Christ. The deeper root is submission to God in general. The deeper root is obedience and surrender from the heart. The deepest root is bowing the knee to King Jesus. Because the small minority doing family worship, the small minority tithing, the small minority who are engaging in personal evangelism, you know what the commonality is? They're the same people. They're the same people. Because the issue of lordship and submission to Christ goes across the board when it comes to all kinds of factors and commands of God. Why are we losing the battle over our children? It is because the deeper root is a spirit of friendship with the world, half-hearted allegiance to Christ, a failure that goes to the deepest root of the human heart. Guys, part of what I am trying to to throw to you to show is that in general, we're not just getting a few things wrong. The foundations themselves are shaky and have paganism in the root. We're not just getting a few things wrong. We've missed the point. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Why are we losing 80%? It is because we're not moving past step one of Christianity. The roots are still pagan and there is a lukewarm attitude towards Christ. Now, by the way, what I just did there, what I just said, is that justified? Is it justified to point these kinds of things out Look at Psalm 78 and look at verse 8 again. There's a call there not to be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The, the, The Bible calls sin, sin. We cannot apologize for calling paganism pagan and disobedience disobedient. We have to identify what it is before we will move forward in obedience. The average child will spend 14,000 hours in a classroom from kindergarten through their senior year of high school. 14,000 hours. While the average church-going family, so here, so here's more numbers of generality, the average church-going family attends just one ter- service. So we're not even looking at Sunday schools and being discipled by godly men and women in the church, just attending one service. And the general attendance, the numbers range somewhere from between two and three weekends a month. 14,000 hours in a classroom. Less than 1% is instructing in the scriptures in the home. And the average church attendance looks like this. Listen to me. Don't be surprised if we're losing 80%. Be surprised that we're not losing 99%. Now, I know that this has kind of a negative tone to it. Only feel guilt if your heart has guilt. If, if, If you've been working hard at these things, then stay humble and take this as an encouragement to strengthen your resolve, I'm going to keep going. I can tell you I had a great deal of conviction this week as I meditated on these things of what what, what are the things we need to go further in to get serious about these things. But parent, you are going to stand before the living God. Your children have souls that will last forever. You heard them confess it. When you stand before God, All of the things that are temptations to us now, the little league trophies and the big college scholarships, they will burn. Their souls are eternal. Do whatever it takes so as you to give yourself wholeheartedly to this work, you will answer for the job you've done, raising your children, do what it takes Do a faithful job raising your children. I know that's kind of a really basic statement of command, but sometimes that's what we need. Your child is in danger. Parent, you need to comprehend the danger so that you can address it. Here's the second point, the command of God. Let's come back to our passage in Psalm 78 there. The purpose of Psalm 78 is to be a psalm of praise to the Lord for his mighty works. Quite a few of the psalms do it like this. There is a recounting of the mighty works of the Lord. In a... And then so as to have a new and fresh way of offering worship to them. So we remember the mighty works of the Lord and we exult in them. But along the way, you know how the Bible will teach 200 truths while it's making one point. One of the things that is done here in order to make this big point, one of the truths that is taught is that uh, we will teach our children to do the same. We're recounting the mighty deeds of the Lord. He is worthy of worship. We're going to teach our children to do the same. We're going to teach them to recount his deeds. And so you notice uh, how many times the word generation comes up in the Psalm. Uh, Find verse four again, Read, read four through six with me again and watch the truth that's being taught there. We will not conceal them, the them are the mighty deeds of the Lord. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. Did you, did you catch that? We're at three generations now that are being looked at. The Israelites were not simply to be worshipers and obeyers of God themselves. They were to teach their children, but not just stop there. There's a really big light bulb moment that comes on when we see Jesus's method of making disciples and leadership development and and moments like this. It's not only that they were to be disciples themselves. It's not only that they were to raise their children to be they were to raise their children so that they would raise their children and the cycle would continue. That requires a different level and wisdom and instruction. God's expectations for his people is that we produce generations, plural, of God-fearers from our households. Being a Christian yourself, requires one level of obedience and work. Okay, dads, you ever feel this? It's like, you know, I'm supposed to raise my kids. It's hard to keep myself in order. Being a Christian who makes disciples of his children requires a deeper and harder level of obedience and work. But being a Christian who produces multiple generations to come, continuing this cycle who make disciples of their children is going to require us to raise our children in a kind of way that's not just telling them you should love Jesus. It is giving them the big picture and the deep truths. I mean, it's doing leadership development with them. It's discipling them in in a really robust kind of way. It is working to try to foster a spirit of zeal and fire in their bones so that they are instructed how to do this. They will raise their children so that they will instruct their children the same thing you're doing now. Make sure you raise your children to raise their children. Do you see what we're getting at here? This is a deeper level of making disciples. And it is this latter one that God tells us he expects of us. This is the expectation of God. God's expectation for you is not just to be a branch on the big family tree that stops with you, but that it keeps branching on after you're dead. If America goes completely secular, which is the trajectory we are on, and this is what happened in Europe. If America goes completely secular, the church here, we will not bear all of the guilt in that but there will be a great deal of guilt we bear for the blood on our hands. Because if you consider what has to happen in order to go backwards, like we are going backwards, there's a lot of disobedience. We've been commanded by God to make disciples, making disciples begins in the home. And you've heard me say this before, if in say the last 100 years, If if the only evangelistic work the church had done, the only evangelistic work, had been to fulfill the responsibilities to make disciples of our children, the church would have not only grown, it would have multiplied immensely. If that were the only thing that would have been done. So I'm not talking, you know, going out to reach the, the community. I'm saying the only work that had been done is fulfilling this responsibility. We would have grown and not just grown, but by immensely. Does it make sense that we're not just losing? We're getting pummeled. The church is failing at the absolute most basic of our responsibilities. The raising of of children, but then hear me because we're not done, because it does get worse. There are tens of thousands of children in the foster care system who need, who need cared for they need families to take them in. Children who need loved, who need raised, who need stability. We Christians should dominate this system. This is our wheelhouse. People in need—that's that's our wheelhouse. This this is what we've been called to do. This is a need that is on our doorstep. For all the things that the world might say negative about us, one thing they should say is, "Yeah, but look how they care for the children." It is a mission field on our doorstep. Those children. need need cared for, and they need the gospel. If we began to include them in our homes, this is even a larger mission field. Our impact on this world would be even multiplied. So not only is there the opportunity with our biological children, but there's this opportunity, this mission field that God has put on our doorstep of children who are in need, but it gets worse still. Listen to me. Seculars aren't having children. That's a trend that's just going to continue. Right now, the the newest government appointee calls children environmental hazards. Right now, seculars are averaging, one of the statistics I saw, it's probably changing all the time, but is averaging something like a 0.8 reproduction rate. If you've heard something newer than that, let me know after the service. But that means biologically, seculars. Are decreasing. Christians love children. We should be involved in bringing more children into our homes. Do you see that there's a scenario here that could just be set up on a tee for us to swing and get base hits all day long. The fields are white with harvest. Where's the breakdown? The breakdown is in where it always is. The breakdown is always in the laborers. That's why Jesus told us to pray for the Lord to raise up laborers to go out into his harvest. So, church family, here's, here's part of what I'm addressing. We cannot help what the rest of the world does, but we can do something different here. What if here? What if here we solemnly decided? that we were going to give ourselves to fulfilling this responsibility, no matter the sacrifice it would take, no matter what I had to give up, I will make the decisions that are for the good of my family to raise them. What if here in this church family, we decided to do something different and we'd sought to obey the Lord in this? Let me tell you what would happen. In three generations, there would be a pretty dramatic turnaround. Seculars are going backwards. We we Christians raising up disciples, three generations. This should be a gospel flourishing community. That not only can happen, it should happen. You need to know that God has done this over and over in history. So I know I'm kind of dogging on um, the church in America right now, but understand it's because we are in a current season of decline and spiritual weakness, but it has not always been that way. You got to understand some pretty amazing uh, revival and awakening has happened in our land, in its history. Uh, The Methodist church in its earliest beginnings, the the Methodist church when it first began was a hot, fiery gospel preaching organization that I cheer on those uh, those early believers who were engaged in that. They are the only denomination to have planted a church in every county of the United States. That's amazing. God's done this before. He can do it here. He can do it here. Let's give ourselves to this work. We can't make anybody else do this, but we can choose that we're not gonna do normal because normal isn't working. Normal is disobedient. Just being frank, we are seeing that a great majority of Christendom in our land today have set the bar of expectations in their own minds for what they think God wants from us. They've set the bar far too low. For many, their understanding of Christianity is that God wants us to live to make ourselves happy and just make sure you don't get in really bad trouble along the way. You know, Don't rob any banks, but then after that, you can do what you want. But what you find all through the Bible is that God's expectations for us, Jesus's commands to us is to live out lives of sold out devotion. We are slaves of Christ, workers in God's field. Jesus said, if anyone loves father or mother more than me, then he is not worthy of me. If anyone wishes to be my disciple, let him take up his cross and deny himself, die daily. You have to realize that that call to die to yourself is the exact opposite of the world always preaching, follow your dreams. Yeah, we mock, you know, follow your heart and things, but there's also the idea, uh, my dreams, my ambitions, die to yourself and come follow me. The parable of talent shows that we're given the expectation to produce much fruit so that when you stand before God, the conversation is not going to be, okay, I see you didn't rob any bakes there. Hey, great job. Did you make yourself happy? Fantastic, that's all I wanted. That's not how the day of judgment is gonna go. The day of judgment is going to go how we honored God in keeping the law of Christ and, and living every moment of our lives so as to produce fruit, everything we take part in that doesn't have eternal value is wood, hay, and stubble that will burn. And only what remains through the fire will last. Your life is to count. Your life is to matter. You have a purpose. I think the most significant thing my mentor has ever said to us guys that he's discipling is, the great danger for most of us is not that we'll fall to some big scandalous sin, It's that we'll we'll become useless puddles of mediocrity who wasted our lives and accomplished little for the kingdom of God. Christian, we must apply that to our parenting as well. We often have misunderstandings about what God has called us to and about what he expects of us. We have misunderstandings about how our own children will come to faith in Christ. Normal's not working. But we, we see that very often, so, so here's what is normal. It's operating with the idea that parents will think, well, I'll, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to pursue my career and we'll go to church. And at church, they'll hear the gospel and be saved. After all, that's the church's job. Let me just kind of pick that apart with you. First, normal's not working. It's not working. We're losing 80%. But secondly, We've been seduced by a subtle lie in believing that it's the school's job to educate my children and it's the church's job to win my children to Christ. Moms and dads, God made this world. That's your job. Your job is to teach and train and educate and and disciple your children. Here's the third thing. I give the exhortation to do what needs to be done. Husbands and wives, the first husbands, let me, let me address you for just a moment. Whatever is getting in the way, whatever is hindering you from fulfilling your responsibilities as a father, be willing to sacrifice it. If, if it is your career, if your career is keeping you from being the dad that you know God wants you to be, then that career is not God's will for your life. Not because your work doesn't matter. Of course it does. It's part of how God made this world. God made this world that we are to work and earn and build and possessions. They're not evil. This is a part of how God made the world, but we can misuse work and misuse money and misuse possessions. Logan Hickey coined that statement, misuse of work. Fathers, is there a hobby? Is there just, I get home, I'm tired and I want my me time that is getting in the way of you reaching your children so that your kids know that you love them, so that your kids know that you like them and you delight in them. Whatever's getting in the way, sacrifice it. Likewise, wives and mothers, I caution you not to misuse work and money. And let me, let me say this, because the church, so I'm, getting, I'm speaking broadly, has some big confusion that's coming in. Wives and mothers, you don't have to wonder what your calling is. There's some charismatic nonsense that has made its way into popular Christianity. It's a pseudo Christianity that's constantly leading wives and mothers to kind of mystically ask this question. What's my calling? What's my calling? As if being a wife and a mother is not enough and you've got all kinds of this in this weird pseudo-Christianity, you've got all kinds of wives and mothers come to this conclusion, well, God told me, God told me my calling is this thing over here and they're walking away, away from their families. Well, that God told me to do it. This is my calling. My calling is this over here. Listen to me, you don't have to wonder what your calling is. God in the Bible tells you. I get it. It ain't politically correct, but God tells you what your calling is. You are called to be a helper to your husband. If your husband is a mechanic, you're a mechanic's wife. If your husband is a farmer, you're a farmer's wife. If your husband is a pastor, you're a pastor's wife. That doesn't mean that like you show up on the job site all the time. That could get strange. But it does mean that you have a responsibility to him. And and there is a help that you are to be giving to him. And similarly, when it comes to your, your work as a mother, Titus 2. Older women in the church are to disciple younger women in the church to teach them to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, and workers at home. I know there's always this discussion. Proverbs 31 clearly shows that wives working for pay is not forbidden. But here's what I think is a lot of times neglected. Proverbs 31 clearly shows that the priority of time and effort is for the nurturing of the family and the home. My caution is don't let worldly principles run your life. Ground yourself in the word. You may have desires that run contrary to that. You need to know that your husband has desires that run contrary to the will of God as well. He's called to die to them, and you're called to die to those that, did, that dishonor the Lord. Don't let worldly ideas shape your thinking. Ground yourself in the word. Live in the Bible. And to both to both husbands and wives, moms and dads. It's a biblical principle. Remove excuses and get after obedience. That really would summarize a lot of passages from the Bible. Remove excuses, get after it when it comes to obedience. Christian parent, do what needs to be done. What's keeping your family from quantity of family time? If you find it, remove it. Y- your family is not to be defined by whatever hobby or, or these kinds of things. You, you see this, well, we're, we're, a, we're a travel soccer family. Well, we're an equestrian family, we're, what, whatever. What is robbing your family of quantity of family time to sufficiently be there with your kids? What is robbing your family of quality family time? Is there something that is causing you dads that by the time you get home, you just got nothing left to give to your family. You're there, but you're not really there. What's robbing quality of family time? What's keeping your family from formal instruction? So next week we're gonna see, obviously you know this, we talk about all the time, the Bible shows every single day instruction of the scriptures in a serious way is to be happening. What's keeping your family from it If, if it's not happening What's keeping what's keeping you from that significant time at bedtime of really engaging with your kids so that your your little kids know that you love them and delight in them? What's seducing the hearts of your teenager? I I get it. If you gotta take a phone away or put restrictions, it's gonna be a battle. Throw down. Have the battle. Do what needs to be done. There was a young man who rebelled against the faith of his parents. This young man came from a devoutly Christian family, and his dad was actually a pastor. This young man had several other brothers, and they grew up and became pastors themselves. This was a family that was very earnest about their faith, but this particular young man just wouldn't have it. He kicked against the influence of his parents. And so his father decided they were going to do whatever it was going to take to, to try. So his father actually left the ministry for a season of time. They sold their house and they moved to a new town. It was really inconvenient. They all started a new school and a new community to try to get this wayward son away from the bad influences that he had fallen in with. His father took a job and provided for the family, but with that extra time, he took it to spend to have more opportunity with his children. Additionally, these parents took one day out of every week to pray and pray earnestly for their children, including the salvation of this wayward son. They, they, on that day, fasted one day a week. So, you know, they, these weren't little toddler three-minute prayers of God bless my children. They pounded on the doors of heaven. They prayed. They fasted. One day, every single week, they gave themselves to whatever kinds of activities that they believed would help win their son. And after some season of time, the Lord answered their prayers. This young man turned to Christ. And when he did, he didn't just turn, he began to very earnestly seek the Lord. All his other brothers grew up to be pastors. He concluded that that was not the work that God wanted for him, but he wanted to serve the kingdom of God. And so he gave himself to a different kind of ministry. That man's name is Dr. James Dobson, a man who arguably has helped more parents raise their children in a biblical way than anybody in maybe two, three centuries. James Dobson is James Dobson because of the sovereign grace of God. But James Dobson is also who he is because he had parents who wouldn't just give in to the excuses of, well, we tried. They did what needed to be done. They gave themselves to the work. Parents, I plead with you. To do the same, you're going to stand before God. Live so as to please him on that day. For you children who are in the room, thank you guys for listening in and paying attention. I want to talk to you guys for just a second here. Uh, If your parents discipline you, If your parents do Bible study with you and talk to you about these kinds of things, you need to know they do that because they love you and they would do anything for you to be saved. You need to know that the Bible tells you that you must be saved. Your sins, just like I have sins, we deserve hell. We deserve the fire that burns forever and ever, but God cares for you. He sent his son Jesus to bleed and die for you. Jesus died to make a way for people to be saved. And so if you will believe in Jesus, if you will choose to become a follower and obeyer of King Jesus, and you pray and ask Jesus to save you, the Bible says that he will. So what I plead with you to do is believe in Jesus. Uh, Decide that you're gonna become a follower. Pray and ask Jesus that he'll save you. I'm gonna have us bow here in just a second. And before I pray, I'm going to give just a a little bit of time, just a couple moments in silence. If you want to pray to be saved, you can just in your heart tell God that and he hears you. Let's bow. Our Father in heaven, We ask, oh God, that you will save our children. We ask, oh God, that you will raise up generations to come of followers. And and from, from this church family, we pray you do it all over, but God, we want so badly to be a part of that. Please use us, help us, stir us, give us zeal for this, and give us wisdom for how to implement these things. I pray for these young ones in the room, and I pray, God, that today you'll save souls. I pray that you, uh, Lord, water seeds that have been sown. Please bless us. Make us to be an obedient church, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. Be dismissed. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.